the exciting journey continues. Um, we're on chapter 4, Flight Toward the Himalayas. Now, so far we've seen Yogananda deceive his family, you know, change into the English garb, uh, get his clothes thrown down from the attic window, connected with two of his other friends, Amar and Jatinda. They get on the train, Jatinda suddenly gets cold feet at the next station, you know, he's nowhere to be found. And where we left off was Yogananda not quite feeling certain, Mukunda at that time, wasn't feeling, I think this is a bad omen that Jatinda has disappeared. And Amar, you know, with the, is this all, is this all your faith is, a little treacherous companion and you are willing to give your search up. And so, of course, Yogananda bolsters up and says, okay, chalo, let's do this together. And so now they already know that Jatinda has betrayed them. And so Yogananda is aware of the fact that any minute now, somebody is going to, you know, question them and find them. And so as he says that to his friend Amar, he says, Amar, we may soon be closely questioned by railroad officials. I am not underrating my brother's ingenuity. He knows his brother by now would have figured out what Yogananda is up to. And his brother's a very smart man as well. And so Yogananda is well aware that already his brother would have put out his, uh, the word to all railroad officials because Yogananda's father was very high up in the railways. But then this is the interesting part. Yogananda then says, No matter what the outcome, I will not speak untruth. Now this is such a, these little gems in there that show the consciousness of Yogananda, but show also the direction our own consciousness needs to take. Yes, your search is true and you're heading for something that's such a high ideal to give your life to God. But the way you do it is so important and the principles that you apply along the way are in fact more important than the fact that you are setting out on this high goal, this high ideal. And this is what Yogananda is demonstrating here. He says, no matter what, if it works out, if it doesn't work out, if we are stopped, if we are questioned, I will not speak untruth if the moment comes when somebody asks me what you are doing. And so he's very clear about the fact that in his love for God, in his pursuit for God, he's going to uphold all those principles that in fact align us to God. Because otherwise there's no point. Uh, there's no point setting these high goals and this is for us in life. There's no point wanting to, you know, lift your station, to be successful, to help others even. If at the end of the day, in order to do that, you're going to have to cheat, cut corners, lie, pretend, you know, yes, you can see Yogananda has uh, warped this web of a little bit of, you know, deceit here and there, but always to the best of his knowledge and ability, trying to be as dharmic as possible. And so this is a very important lesson for us here. No matter what, don't ever find yourself in a situation where you are willing to speak untruth, to kind of justify the process or the goal that you've set before yourself. Okay, and then we continue and this is the little kind of sweet moment where the railroad official does find them. And, that one moment. Uh, 
let's just stop for a second in the following line when mm, Amar says to Mukunda, all I ask of you, Mukunda, is to keep still. Don't laugh or grin while I'm talking. And I like that sentence because it already also describes Yogananda's personality. You know? He was like so uh, mischievous and you know he just couldn't keep himself with his mouth shut if he saw anything that wasn't right or if he felt that something was funny. And I don't know, I, I like that line because it says a lot about Yogananda's personality. And so when the railroad official does catch up to both of them, he asks, Are you running away from home in anger? <laughs> no, Yogananda's reply was. And then he says, I was glad for his choice of words because they permitted me to make the right reply, the emphatic reply. So you see how he was like, okay, listening correctly, ensuring he doesn't have to speak untruth, but at the same time, not revealing or divulging what is his true intention? So you can, you know, you can weigh these realities and find out ways to stay in dharma, to stay in tune with the divine flow, yet finding a way to flow through because the world is going to place obstacles before you. It is going to test you. It is going to try to often stop you from achieving these higher goals, not because it's against high goals, but that is just the pull of maya. That's the opposing force that God essentially had to put into manifestation to maintain this creation. The one pull towards separation, towards greater ego identity, another pull towards expansion to greater soul identity. And both these pulls play upon us. And it is our responsibility to at least, to the best of our ability, cooperate with that soul pull. Okay, so now, you know, they've gotten caught. And they get, the official doesn't let them go. He takes them to a nearby police station. And so right now, they're, both of them are in a police station and two cops are guarding them until Yogananda's brother arrives. Now, one of the police officers says to them, because now he's heard why they're running away from home, you know, what the issue is. And he says, I see you are crazy about saints. You will never meet a greater man of God than I saw only yesterday. So you've got these amazing stories of just people meeting all these great, great souls. And again, as I said before, I don't know what was going on at that time. So many saints, you know, kind of being born together, similar location, similar time period. Something magical, I really feel. And it's kind of like Yogananda gave us the opportunity to experience that through his book. And let's remember also that uh, Yogananda had already that magnetism. He was born with that um, magnetism of attracting saints from his childhood. He had the blessing of Lahiri Mahashaya. He has already received several messages and confirmations that his life will be dedicated uh, to God. And we can see that this is not that crazy as it seems. I mean, he already attracted and magnetized these kind of encounters that had only one purpose behind it, which was to accelerate and to increase that desire to just 
going to search for God and nothing else. So this is not as um, coinciden coincidental at, as it looks. I mean, this, this encounter with these specific men in the rail station, it had a purpose, again, to inculcate, to increase that desire in Yogananda's heart for the search, the search of his own guru and above all, God. All right, so these police officers saying you wouldn't have met anybody as great as the man we met yesterday and so they begin to tell the story. We were patrolling by the Ganges on a sharp lookout for a certain murderer. Our instructions were to capture him alive or dead. I like the way Yogananda has done this. Normally you always say the phrase is dead or alive, but here Yogananda is emphasizing alive or dead. He wants to give the positive the first choice. He was known to be masquerading as a sadhu in order to rob pilgrims. A short way before us, we spied a figure who resembled the description of the criminal. He ignored our command to stop, so we ran to overpower him. Approaching his back, I wielded my axe. So this police guy is carrying an axe with him for all particular reason. And with tremendous force, the, the man's right arm was severed almost completely from his body. So you've got this really horrific moment where the cop is trying to stop him. The man's not listening and there he has, he has his orders alive or dead. And without an outcry or any glance at the ghastly wound, the stranger astonishingly continued his swift pace. As we jumped in front of him, he spoke quietly. I am not the murderer you are seeking. I was deeply mortified to see I had injured the person of a divine-looking sage. Prostrating myself at his feet, I implored his pardon and often offered my turban cloth to staunch the heavy spurts of blood. So you can see the image here. Blood's gushing out of this man's arm. This man's just walking, not even one look at what's happened. And he's like, I'm not the murderer you're looking for. And this other guy's like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, what have I done? And then this is the, you know, the catch of the whole moment for me is, son, that was just an understandable mistake on your part. The saint regarded me kindly. Can you imagine that? Oh, it's no big deal. It was just a misunderstanding. I totally understand why you would have done this. Now, from our perspective, it is like how much we react to misunderstandings. And, you know, none of our misunderstandings involve somebody chopping our arm off with an axe. Our misunderstandings are you know, you didn't pass me the cup that I wanted and you gave me that look and you said this to somebody else. And I mean, the tiniest of things, you didn't respond to me when I called you. You know, it's just like, and we make such a hoo-ha about it. And here, I mean, this is to help us understand what a true consciousness feels like. This is not acting. This is not having held himself back and he's in great pain and he's like, okay, chal, koi nahi yaar, tune kar diya. it's just a misunderstanding. It's no big deal. It's none of that. It's just like, son, that was just an understandable mistake on your part. 
and it will be very nice for us to start looking at life and say well that was just an understandable mistake because truly every mistake a person makes is very understandable because you don't know from which perspective what was going on in his mind how he saw the whole situation we only see life from our side whereas the saint was so easy for him to see oh this guy understandable mistake he was you know looking for a murderer his job was to stop him no matter what this is what he did to do his job so let's see in our own ways how many times we get an opportunity where somebody you know chops our <laughs> ego off with their acts of their harsh words of their unkindness of their complete ignorance of what we are feeling in that moment and these are good words to kind of put in our mind that was just an understandable mistake on your part a beautiful thing to remember i like the word that the saint uses to refer to this man he says son not friend not devotee not brother son which implies the consciousness of in this case a father and i think this would be a good practice for us to keep developing compassion in this case as this saint showed because i think a mother or a father are the closest that we can relate to understand that sense of compassion towards our children where when we know they have done something and they didn't want to do it but due to ignorance they just did that so you have no other choice but to forgive them because you understand they are still little kids not quite knowing what's all about so you have more compassion more patience towards them and i think this could be a nice thing for us to see um, our children our friends our family members as our children i mean i i i try to see <laughs> many of my gurubais as my children and i like to visualize myself as a divine mother and to invite that presence and i would like for all of you my sisters and my brothers brothers <laughs> yeah but especially ladies and women to visualize yourself as the divine mother and the energy that flows through you and to respond to life and to your children to your family members with that consciousness and to all my brothers to visualize yourself as the heavenly father and relate to everyone as your children too i think that will be very helpful in develop that compassion that right now it seems to be so necessary in this world Uh, uh, after a while, I mean, he says, "Come tomorrow, like telling him, come to come to me under yonder tree in three days, and you will find me fully healed. Thus, you will feel no remorse." And I was thinking, the consciousness of a saint is such that he is much more concerned. of how we feel than how what they want to teach us and in this case he wanted for this other man to reassure him that please don't ever go back home or don't spend the rest of your life being guilty 
for something that you have done without being conscious of it or without doing it consciously. And, and I thought this is remarkable because the saint was, in a sense, mm, very concerned that this man will carry a sense of guilt within him for something terrible that he did to this saint. So in order to make sure that this man, um, this man went back home and restarted his life with that sense of peace and assurance, assurance, mm -hmm. he asked him, come back so you can see with your own eyes that I'm perfectly healed and then you will feel no remorse. Um, anyway, I was very moved to see how saints, that's their main concern, to make sure and to remove from our hearts whatever little mistakes we have done to take them away from that sense of guilt or blame or even judging our own actions for something that we didn't mean to do so. All right, so Ananta. Yogananda's brother now comes to take him back home. Uh, Amar, the other friend's brother or father also comes and Amar is actually quite happy. <laughs> and Yogananda says here very sweetly, he was enjoying the familial warmth, you know. Yeah, you've set yourself, but then the moment you see your loved ones and you, you see that familiarity that you were so used to, the comfort that they bring to you, naturally you're like, well, this is, you know, Swami would often say that we often choose the familiar suffering to the unfamiliar joy. And that is the tendency. That's where habituality is part of drawing us down. We'll always choose that even if it's uh, painful and there's a little suffering involved, but we know it, it's familiar to us and we'll, we'll more willingly embrace that then put the energy out to go into the unknown and to expand into joy which we've not yet experienced so here amar was enjoying the familial warmth in fact the word family comes from the term familiar that which is familiar to us but then yogananda said but i knew i would never abandon the quest for my guru so again always keeping no matter what Life will not always um, support you in every decision you make. But as long as you have that intention as clear as you can, you'll see that that joy never fades away, no matter what. And so um, Ananta now tells Yogananda, listen, I understand how you feel. Now Ananta is trying to play the good guy here. You're trying to see that, okay, if I can't persuade Yogananda by scolding him, let me now be the good guy. And so he says, I understand how you feel. All I ask you is that you accompany me to Benares to meet a certain saint. So now he's using Ananta. This is Ananta here represents Maya, not, not because he was bad, but just, you know, the play of Maya, at least the Leela. He says, um, come, I want you to meet a certain saint and then we'll go to Calcutta to visit your grieving father. You see the, the words he's dropping and then you can resume your search for a master. So he's kind of not, he's no longer saying no, no, no. He's now trying to use Yogananda's own search for saints and his desire for a guru. And he's starting to use the same terms and words to help kind of entrap him. But Yogananda kind of, he mentions here that actually Ananta had prearranged 
for these two pundits to be there whom Sananta was calling saints but they were pundits that he had hired to dissuade Yogananda from wanting to live the life of a sannyasi. So they get to Banaras and this is the conversation. Yogananda meets the young, it's a pundit and his son who is also a pundit. And this man says to him, You will meet continual misfortune and be unable to find God if you insist on deserting your ordinary responsibilities. You cannot work out your past karma without worldly experiences. Now, there are two realities here. One, of course, is that this is not true at all. But at the same time, for some of us, this does hold true. And so, again, you have to look at the spiritual path from an individual perspective. What do I need? What karmas and debts and tendencies have I accrued that need to be worked on in this particular life? And especially if unlike Yogananda, who was so clear from such a young age, didn't have the responsibilities at the time. If we found ourselves at, a, at the moment where our love for God awakens, where we've already have a family, have children, have a job, there's a good possibility, although I don't want to discount the possibility that God wants you to dedicate your life to Him uh, fully in the form of uh, absolute renunciation but the chances are very high that he's waited and we see the same for Lahiri Mahasaya's life he's waited until you found yourself in that setting before he's awakened your desire once again because you're just continuing that desire to love God and to live for God so take certain things in this book also understanding that this is some of it is specifically for Yogananda and some of it we have to weigh in the balance of our own lives and see, okay, this is in, for me, this is what's needed. Because for some of us, in fact, we cannot work out some of our past karma without the worldly responsibilities that have laid for us. Not because it's impossible, but because we don't have the drive. We don't have the power to say God alone. So we have to have children to expand ourselves and say, at least I won't only think of myself, I'm also going to think of my family. I have to have a job that says, okay, I'm going to put out willpower and willingness in, in things that otherwise I would not want to do. Well, I mean, most of us, if given the opportunity to be renunciates, we'd just be lazy bums because we wouldn't be meditating all the time. We wouldn't be keeping our attention at the spiritual eye all the time. And if we did, we could be doing that now. And we still choose not to. So use some of these words more to clarify your own individual reality and say, wait a minute, yeah, it's true. However, before I give pass it to Narayani, Yogananda's reply is also very important for us. Because Yogananda says, Krishna's immortal words rose to my lips in reply. Even he with the worst of karma who ceaselessly meditates on me quickly loses the effects of his bad past his past bad actions becoming a high souled being he soon attains perennial peace arjuna know this for certain the devotee who puts his trust in me never perishes so over here again yogananda is not talking about being a sannyasi renouncing his worldly responsibilities no way here but he is addressing the fact that don't tell me that i cannot overcome my past karma because if i meditate ceaselessly if i 
every day make contact with the divine soon those um, that hold that binding power of the karma will start to neutralize will start to dissolve and this holds true for all of us don't then think oh i have to fulfill my worldly responsibility they are more important no no they are only vehicles for you to express those states of consciousness that right now you have not yet refined but go within daily because that's where true karma is being overcome and many a times you will find and we have with our own friends rajesh and niyati some of you know them they both had worldly responsibilities rajesh still has more of that responsibility yet because their desire was strong they were meditating daily very sincerely naturally some of those karmas got dissolved and now they didn't need to express their life in that particular way and they have been able to give their lives more fully to the spiritual path so you never know how god's going to arrange it for you but running away from a responsibility will solve a no a uh, purpose in your life so keep that in mind as your own love for god expands and increases he's within you you can find him no matter where you are nothing to say, nothing to say. all right let us continue so um so yogananda said even though i you know i gave that reply he says the young man had slightly shaken my confidence so so you can see these moments where life will test us and you know this man was like you can't do this you'll never find god and naturally you know my brother has brought me to these people you i mean we have to keep remembering yogananda is like 11 12 years old this isn't yogananda in his 20s and 30s this is the 11 12 year old young boy and somebody older to him you know with apparent spiritual authority saying you will not find god unless so he says you know even though i gave that reply i was a little shaken and inwardly in that moment this is the beauty and the power of yogananda's relationship to the divine in that moment with fervor in my heart i silently prayed to god please solve my bewilderment and answer me right here and now if thou dost desire to lead desire me to lead a life of a renunciate or a worldly man it's so beautiful here he's not saying god i know you want me to be a renunciate so you better show me that that is what you want he's in his prayer he's even giving god the space what do you want please solve my bewilderment because he's as much as his heart yearns for the renunciate life you can see even at that young age he's already saying god you tell me am i to be a renunciate am i to be a worldly man he's not even coloring his prayers with his own desire he's opening himself up fully to god to reveal himself in the moment of his bewilderment in the moment where his faith is shaken and that's the relationship we have to establish every moment our faith is always going to be tested and we're just going to have to be wait a minute can you help me can you help me regain what is my right move what do you really want from me not i know you really want this so why don't you just tell me that this is what you want no what is it that you want i'm open to being in tune with your will please show me keep going okay and anyway suddenly you know in answer to his prayer a sadhu comes to the nearby door calls yogananda and tells him son don't listen to that ignoramus 
In response to your prayer, the Lord tells me to assure you that your sole path in this life is that of the renunciate. So again, just confirmation. Again and again, Yogananda seeks confirmation. Another very subtle reality throughout this book, Yogananda never presumes both on his own intuition and never presumes on the omens and the signs he's getting. He always wants to make sure, always wants to ensure that everything he's doing is in line with God's will. Everything that he's meant to do is in line with his own freedom because that's all he cares about. Not the outward expression, but the inner freedom that that expression will bring him. So you see him checking moment by moment, is this right? Do you still want me to do this? Am I still on the right path? Is this still really where you want me to go? And that's such a beautiful attitude, the openness of the devotee. Again, one that we must really make a part of our life. Don't assume ek bar pooch liya and now that's the only reality there is. Poochte raho, poochte raho. Just keep asking, every day ask, what do you want me to do today? How do you want to express through me today? And you'll see that voice, just as you, we feel as Narayani was saying, it's not coincidental that all these people were coming to Yogananda, is because he was constantly communing with God one way or the other. So God wanted to commune back with him. It's just we don't try to communicate with God often enough and then we don't receive the same kind of response. But if you start this inner dialogue, this constant conversation, you'll start to see the responses of the divine in numerous ways in your life. There is a moment always, as Shurjo was saying, in Yogananda's um, highlight of his really question uh, to God. He achieves to that, he reaches to that point of surrender where he's doubting, but then he brings himself to that point where I don't care anymore what I want but what you want for me. I'm, I'm willing to do whatever you want for me. And yes, even though his seal, his uh, question, his request is so strong, but before he asks, he takes him, himself to that place of completely surrender where he, he, he's so open that it doesn't matter what response God is going to give him and he will be willing to do so. I'm mm, so, I mean, to see here how God chose to give him that message, not through a sign, not through a, you know, anything, but just through a sadhu who he just, just happened to see on the other side of the street. The sadhu comes and give him this specific message with words. I mean, doesn't get any more clear than this. So for many of us, the kind of messages we receive are so vague, are so clouded by so many other things that it's so difficult for us to understand what God wants from us. Because I think we never bring ourselves to that point of complete surrender where we are um, willing to do 
whatever God wants for us. We always hope that what God wants for us is also those things that we truly want for ourselves. So sometimes the messages doesn't come to us as clear or as quickly just because we have so many of those layers of hoping that God will choose that thing that I really also want to do. So when we remove those layers of likes and dislikes and expectations and I think he will be able to come to us more directly and more clearly. So before we ask for a specific guidance, just uh, be self-honest and see how willing am I to do really what God is asking of me to do, whether I like or not, whether I think is crazy or not, and, and keep training yourself for those moments where God will keep guiding you to your next step that hopefully will be forward rather than backward. And every decision we need to take usually requires a bit more courage than the, this, the previous step. So it's like we are moving forward and every time is going to be asked of each one of us to put a little bit more courage, to give that thing away, to overcome that and to surrender ever more willingly to his will. So Yogananda's faith having been renewed, Yogananda tells to his brother, I think we're done here, let's go back home. And uh, I just want to bring this one little point in during this process. Yogananda says to his brother, Mr. Detective, how did you discover I had fled with my two companions? Now, what I love about this, the way he puts this is, you can see there's cheerfulness and there's respect in his question. Now, Ananda has just thwarted one more of his attempts to go to the Himalayas has brought him under some, you know, a ruse to these people who he has bribed or paid or who knows what to ensure that they tell Yogananda that he's not meant to give his life to God. I mean, after all of this, after somebody has repeatedly thwarted your desires, your ability to move forward, has repeatedly deceived you in ways to ensure that you follow his or her desire and guidance in life, and yet, you don't see Yogananda sulking and upset and saying, how dare you and I wish you were never there and you know, <laughs> how he can get sometimes. He's just like, Mr. Detective, how did you discover? I he was curious. He wanted to know how his brother did. The joy of God was in him that didn't even allow him to go into a mood, into a becoming upset, becoming angry, holding a grudge. He understood the Leela of God's play so beautifully that he knew every person has a role to play according to their own ability to understand life, to understand truth, the consciousness that they hold in that moment and the instrument that they are for God's plan to play out. You see, these are the moments where through Ananta Yogananda's faith gets stronger and stronger, his desire clearer and clearer. And we must look at our own obstacles in life, whether they come through people, whether they come through circumstances and situations, is to try to be as cheerful and respectful to the 
Maya playing through them to God's play of trying to strengthen us coming through them as the instruments. Yogananda said, always be even-minded and cheerful in every moment. That is the way to God. And you can see that playing out even in the young Mukunda. So another thing for us to just always raising the bar. Okay, let me try to be a little more joyful, a little more cheerful, despite the fact that all my plans have been completely washed away. Anything? No. So we continue, they get home. Yogananda's father is very happy to see him. And at home, Yogananda says, Father touchingly requested me to curb my roving feet until at least the completion of my high school studies. So now I think Yogananda's family members are starting to realize that we're not going to be able to thwart or to change his mind. But so they now start requesting him much more realistically, practically. Okay at least finish high school until then try not to you know disappear and give us the scare of our lives <clears throat> in my absence he had lovingly hatched a plot by arranging for a saintly pandit swami kebalananda to come regularly to the house so while yogananda was away his father started thinking how do I ensure that Yogananda, you know, stays and continues on at least finishing his studies? So again, knowing his son's deep desire, he finds a very saintly man and he asks him to become Yogananda's tutor and become a Sanskrit tutor. And the interesting thing over here is, and Yogananda says here, unknown to father, Swami Kevalananda was an exalted disciple of Lahiri Mahashaya. So, even Yogananda's father didn't know the man that he is hiring to be his young son's tutor is in fact a very advanced disciple of Lahiri Mahashaya. And this is the beauty of God's play. This is the beauty of God's absolute love for you. He will come to you even when it seems like everything is against you. He will find you in the most difficult circumstance. He will arrange for life to be created in such a way that in the place that you felt you're furthest away from your goal, your desire, you're actually the closest and in the right place for him then to come to you. And that's the sweetness of this relationship that we create with the divine. No matter what, if your search is sincere, if your heart is truly yearning for God, he will never abandon you. As Krishna said in the previous thing, don't ever forget, Arjuna, my devotee is always under my protection, always. And that's something very important for us to remember. And so see in your life right now, what are the circumstances that you think are actually not so, you know, in tune with what you would like to do? And then look for God in there, because believe me, he's placed himself there waiting for you to recognize and kind of catch him. He's hiding, he's playing hide and seek with us and he wants us to find him. So look for those moments in your own life, those circumstances where you'd otherwise think he's the farthest, but in fact, he's probably very, very close to you. In this case, uh, not only God comes to uh, Mukunda in the form now of this Sanskrit tutor, uh, Mahashaya, uh, Swami Kebalananda, 
um, but God takes away that plan that Yogananda had of going to the Himalayas. And I think this is another subtle aspect that we need to start um, understanding in our lives. Those things that we, you know, the direction we set, the projects we have, we want to accomplish, the things, the places that we want to go, and those moments or situations where we think we are going to find that happiness or that thing we are looking for, when that's taken away and appears at the beginning like one of the greatest tragedies, don't doubt because God has created something better for you who is really going to help you. So, so those things that are taken away or all the energy that you have invested in a specific thing, person, situation, sometimes the reason why they are taken away, why it's not working, what it goes into a fiasco, is because God has prepared ahead something better for you. So the point that I'm trying to make here is be patient because God has a plan for each one of us and we shouldn't even doubt in our minds that that tragedy, that, you know, sad, bad moment, it's, it's just, it has a purpose and it's because God knows happiness, we are not going to find it there and he has already something, he has set something into motion for us. We just need to be a little bit more patient and trust that he knows what he's doing with our lives as long as we are constantly asking him to guide us, to help us, to help us and to show us the way. So just to say here that Swami Kebal Ananda, that wasn't his name at the time. He was not a Swami at that time. He was called Shastri Mahashaya. And so you can see why Yogananda's father did not know that he was a spiritually inclined, not just a spiritually inclined, but a very, very deep devotee of his own guru. So they were brother disciples. So you can again also see Lahiri Mahashaya's presence so present in uh, Yogananda's life. Here Yogananda describes, and I just want to mention the few things that he dis how he describes Swami Kebalananda, because all these descriptions give us little hints of perhaps ways that we ourselves can start um, measuring our own both outward features as well as a reflection of the inner consciousness. Of course, he says luxuriant curls framed the tutor's handsome face. You don't have to worry about needing luxuriant curls. His dark eyes were guileless. So guileless means just innocent, without any deception, with the transparency of a child's. So again, look into your own eyes. And in fact, the eyes are beautiful because you'll see them change as consciousness changes. When you've just finished a meditation, it could be a helpful thing for you to go and go look in yourself in the mirror and see what your eyes look like and try to get your eyes to be in that state if you can. Especially when you have felt the presence. <laughs> if you've had a very good meditation, <laughs> not after you've just made all your plans for your son's birthday party. Um, so, but look, then when you get angry, 
you know, after you've shouted at whoever you needed to shout, go and look into your in the mirror and look at your eyes. And again, and you can see this in other people as well. The eyes are a beautiful way, often called the windows to the soul. Um, not only as a means to recognize consciousness, but if you can start working with the eyes, you'll be able to, in some ways, induce certain states of consciousness as well. Just as we do the, you know, uplift the gaze to achieve the superconscious state, down to achieve the subconscious state. In fact, one of Yogananda's recommendations as a practice, as an exercise, is to learn to experience these states as well. So he would say, okay, now put your eyes down and go into the subconscious mind. Now put your eyes straight, enter into the conscious state. Now put your eyes up, go into a superconscious state. And he would ask his uh, disciples to train themselves this way that in a moment's notice, they can choose which state of consciousness they want to be in. And so similarly, use your eyes to train yourself to reflect that inner consciousness. Can I say something about this? Okay. Another thing that um, Swami Kriyananda recommended is like you cannot, I mean, it's not only you project with your eyes, but you can absorb the consciousness within you. So he, uh, Swami Kriyananda recommended to look into the eyes of Yogananda and very deeply and absorb his consciousness of power, of wisdom, of unconditional love, especially before your meditation. And especially if you had a very, very tough day, sit in front of Yogananda's picture, look deeply into his eyes and just absorb that consciousness and bring that consciousness with you in meditation. And perhaps not only before of, uh, before meditation, but throughout the day, you have a few minutes, just sit in front of his picture, converse, communicate with him. But above all, use your eyes to absorb those qualities that you want to develop within yourself. You can do the same with Babaji, with Lahiri Mahashaya, with Sri Yudheshwar, with Jesus Christ. I mean, each one of them uh, emanate a specific consciousness. Sri Yudheshwar is about wisdom and detachment. Lahiri Mahashaya is about balance and moderation. Um, Yogananda is about unconditional love. Uh, Christ is about power also and compassion. So just see throughout your day, throughout the week, throughout this month, what are the qualities, not only that you want to develop within yourself, but what you need the most right now. And just invite them by doing these practices. It's very powerful. And the final line for today's class still continuing to describe Swami Kebalananda is all the movements of his slight body were marked by a restful deliberation which means all the movements of his body were conscious and very restful he moved his body everything that he did there was um, you know it was an active, dynamic decision. His hands and his feet, you know, like me, weren't moving like this. They were moving very gently. And this is another, you can say, aspect of the practice of yoga, Hatha Yoga. You know, when we get into uh, these postures, the practice of Hatha Yoga is not about these postures. But the way Swami Kriyananda said is that eventually every movement we make is yoga. 
how I sit down, how I get up, how I move my arms, how I reach out to people. So another way to induce certain states of consciousness is use your body. Use your body in ways where if you feel that my body is tight and tense and it's closed and my arms are like this and my uh, spine's a little hunched, okay, straighten my spine, open my chest, relax my body. If I'm too restless in my movements, if I'm fidgeting. So these will help you also, you can say, understand in every moment your own state. And if you catch it and the body is such an easy thing to notice, it requires a little bit of awareness, but it's an easy thing to notice and then much easy thing to correct as well. So always keep using the body as to say, is my body reflecting the state of consciousness I would like to have? Or is it reflecting a dull state of, you know, just somewhat uh, complacency and indifference? So let me open my body, let me straighten my spine, let me sit down very deliberately, let me reach out to my cup very deliberately. And you can start to use the body as well as uh, just another way to reflect the consciousness you would like to have. Eventually these things become habitual and then that becomes how you are. And uh, work towards that. Use every means possible to keep correcting, keep refining, keep understanding where am I and where would I like to be? And that's the question we must ask ourselves often. Bus, okay. Well, thank you everyone. Another fabulous reading. Um, believe me, the next, the part of this uh, chapter, the final three pages are actually really, really nice. Swami Kebal Ananda is telling stories from Lahiri Mahashaya's life. So we're going to practically read every word of it and uh, slow our pace down even more. And keep the book in a place that you can see it often. So let's not make these uh, one once a week meeting with Yogananda. Let's just keep the book in a place where you just, you know, you are still thinking about these thoughts. He's still very alive in your presence, in your life. He's guiding you throughout the week. So find that spot in the house that every day at least you see uh, this picture three times. <laughs>